Welcome to the Well Workplaces podcast, where we have authentic conversations with health and wellbeing leaders that are on a mission to inspire healthy change in the workplace. I'm your host, Tom Bosner, and today's episode is proudly brought to you by Pinnacle Health Group, Australia's leading corporate wellbeing provider, who are on a mission to deliver 5 million health experiences globally. Today, I'm speaking with Sam Eddy. Just a little bit about Sam. Sam is a workplace mental health, stress management, well-being and career confidence expert. He's an executive coach also, and he helps teams and individuals build healthy, thriving lives and careers and workplace cultures. As an experienced executive coach, Sam's business, Open Change, is an independent consultancy that specializes in exec coaching for some of Australia's leading organizations. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, lots going on, but um, conflict, I know that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's, a, it's something we can't get away from, so it's nice to be back here to kind of do a deep dive on that. Absolutely. Yeah, our last chat was, we were just saying, it was about two or three years ago, and we were talking about stress temperature. So that's a great episode. I believe it's episode three, which is many episodes ago. So if you want to hear more from Sam, definitely find that one. However, yeah, you're right. Today, we're going to be talking about managing conflict in the workplace. And just to set us up, Sam, I think probably I was thinking coming into this discussion, I was kind of picturing an executive or a manager who's been working in a hybrid environment and a flexible environment now for, for two years. And over those two years, they've been riding the bumps and they've been supporting people and they've been having well-being conversations appropriately or at least trying to mm. but but as as this thing continues when i say this thing i mean remote and flexible working and hybrid working there's no doubt that through this period of time that there's been some conflict or there's been difficult conversations that have needed to be had you know that sort of scenario where you've got people working in you know, uh, you can't necessarily see them anymore, which is a very old school sort of thought anyway. But if someone's not doing well, or you're needing to have a tough conversation with someone, or even just be direct with someone, we've got to move a little bit away from being, you know, well-being first. There's there's also a point where we need to talk in around business performance as well. So with your executives that you coach, obviously this is something probably that has come up, I'm imagining. So yeah, let's mm. sort of get into that, Sam. So tell us about I guess with conflict in teams, and perhaps you can you can share some examples in a second. But what are some of the common issues that come up, or you're hearing with your with your executive coaching clients that you have? Well, I mean, I guess my background was of corporate before I had my own coaching and training, and you mentioned that focus on business performance, and it and it gets a bit muddled. You're right with the well-being, mental health focus, but at the end of the day, most businesses are there to provide a service to deliver products, to market, to actually, you know, make money. And I think it's important to lean into that when you're thinking about conflict as well, because I think if we get into eggshell mode around it, it, it makes it actually can create more conflict because we get into assumption mode. We don't want to have direct conversations. And so it's a classic things that I see both when I was sort of in the corporate world myself, and I still sort of, you know, jump into it a little bit these days. And whether it's mm. hybrid working or not, it comes around to, you know, the classics around communication or lack yep. of communication assumptions. One of the biggest things that I see, and it's never really talked about in terms of well-being or mental health is lack of role clarity. The people not really knowing on a super basic level, what they're on the hook to deliver. 
So, mm -hmm. you know, in coaching that I do, often people are referred to me for coaching because there's a problem or they're opting in themselves, but then organization might want them to do some coaching. And the first question I ask is, let's, you know, just tell me about your role and what are you on the hook to deliver? What's the agreement that's in place about your job? Because that's always the starting point. But what, and so that's sort of the starting point in my mind around conflict, how you get under the skin of it, start to understand it. So you can eventually use tools to deescalate it. But the, but the, the brief I normally get is, and I've got run leadership workshops before, and people always want to know about the conflict bit, but what they usually mean is I want that person to change. I want that person to stop doing the wrong thing. And that's what they mean by conflict. But conflict yeah. is effectively an ongoing or reoccurring disagreement that can't be resolved. And it's really less about getting someone else to change to your point of view as, as nice as that would be. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, kind of, that's usually the, the surface level approach to conflict. How do I get that person to behave appropriately or to do the right thing? And it, of course they're subjective terms, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good, good point around that whole idea of trying to get someone to think or like you or behave in the way that you want. But if you go back and zoom out a lot, I agree with you. A lot of the issues tend to stem from lack of role clarity. And we do know that that's a really important one for creating a, you know, a really psychologically safe environment for people. And, and that is a, you know, we, we talk about well-being, that psych safety aspect is, is huge because it is such a definitive way of managing things and looking after the risks that are associated with that. But a real clear role description is, is I, I think, in my opinion, is just one part of the picture which is, you know, your role description is for some people, it's just too many words in one thing. But if you go to like a second stage or at the second page on that, it should be a, a like a scorecard basically, which has, mm. you know, three key objectives of what you're on the hook for. I like the way that you put that because it actually feels like you're accountable for something, which is, which everyone should be in an, in an organization. Is, is a scorecard sort of approach, is that something that you see in practice? Look, it, it is, and some companies, some businesses, some departments within the business do it really well, some don't, but I think yeah. I agree. I think, I mean, the, the role clarity aspect, job descriptions, people go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, but they know what they should be doing. They know what they should mm. be doing in their role, but there's still conflict and people struggle to get their head around it and think actually, well, maybe it's not really that clear about what the, what the role and responsibilities are. The paradox can be that someone might be in a role for five, 10 years. And then it's been assumption over assumption over assumption, and maybe things will just work because people have been on, on the same assumption page, but you get someone new in or there's change in the landscape, the economy changes, the business needs changes, and that's where it can start to fall apart. So, you know, dashboards, KPIs are really important. So what's, what is it that I'm on the hook to deliver? What's the measure of success and have we agreed upon it? So I had a client I was coaching who took a new role and thought it was going to be something that it wasn't. And I said, okay, well, tell me, what was the agreement you had in place? When you took the role, what, what were you, what were you agreeing to that you would do and what then the difference? So you can maybe go back and renegotiate. And the outcome was that there was no clear agreement up front. So a job description may not even be a clear agreement. It may not be setting out expectations clearly. So yeah, <laughs> it does. Yeah. And I encourage all my clients, whether they're a leader, whether they're a junior person to try and get that clarity to so sometimes conflict, the, the surface level conflict that arises out of all of this stuff, 
we have to go back to basics and you might even have to do a bit of a reset to acknowledge actually there hasn't really been a clear working agreement let's do a bit of a reset so we can then go okay this is what you're on the hook to deliver and yeah, then build yeah. That from there. yeah it's a clever way of doing it I, I i can picture in my own sort of experience at pinnacle as well i can picture sort of times when I haven't been, for example, we've done the role description, done the scorecard, everything's looking good right at the start. And then where it falls down is that constant review of how are we going relative to our objectives. And so sometimes that initial startup period can be great because be like, yeah, we've, we've, you know, we've signed this together, we make an agreement, but sometimes where the fall down is, is the consistent review of it to ensure, you know, at minimum, a quarterly review to kind of go, are we actually doing what we thought this role would, would achieve in the end? And so sometimes you do need to go back to the drawing board. And if you're the employee that feels like there's lack of role clarity, I love that approach of just going, well, let's, let's reset. Let's have a, let's have a sit down and basically fix this so that we've got a ongoing agreement that really works. I'm imagining though, in that situation. And generally with, with conflict as well, especially if it's getting, if it's sort of expectations that aren't aligned on both parties, I imagine in some scenarios, Sam, you might get egos becoming a bit of a problem. Yeah, totally. And when you mentioned the change that we've all experienced over the last few years, so whenever change is happening, stress becomes higher and our fight or fight response is activated, which I, you know, I talk about all the time. But that means that protective personality, which we can also call the ego, which is really useful, that selfish part of us, which we want to activate when a car's coming towards us at a hundred miles an hour. So we can save, you know, save our own life, jump left or right, black and white thinking. We want to have tunnel vision in those moments, but they're the, the, the big problems with conflict. When we get tunnel vision, we're in black and white thinking you're wrong. I'm right. We go into judgment mode. And so. When life, big life events happen, and it could be personal events, we have babies, we're not getting much sleep, we, you know, we're trying to buy a house, get married, whatever it might be, or there's a big global change, a shift, a COVID, a pandemic, then it's normal that we're all going to, we're going to have less capacity. Our, we're going to be, our fight or fight's going to be active. So our ego is going to be ready to go and it's going to be triggered by a whole range of things. So, you know, for me, it might be that person coming in late or never turning their camera on during a Zoom session, yours will be different from mine, but they're all going to be, we're going to be sort of primed for this conflict whenever there's big changes going on. So something that bothered us, bothered us right and might not have bothered us as much two, three years ago. And so what would, so the, so the, the emphasis about the work I do is trying to sort of take the focus off the external, acknowledge that yes, we've all got different triggers. But how is my current state first and foremost? Because I can say to you, Tom, yes, that person is really rude. They're aggressive. They're awful, but that doesn't really help you resolve the conflict. It just maybe gets you even more really annoyed, frustrated, angry, you know, at the situation because you're like, yeah, right. They are, they are awful. Whereas I'm trying to sort of, the first thing in which could be the hardest is to take a look at our own contribution and where we're at, how are we reacting? Are we just reacting? on autopilot because of all that, all that I've just described and are we able to try and sort of come back to calm before we then engage in the disagreement or the conflicts? You see it a lot in situations where there is conflict or a, a disagreement. And I've heard and seen this a little bit in, especially in the remote or hybrid sort of mode. It's very easy to pile on someone if they're not doing their job and then you 
then tell someone else in the team that's not that that person. But then then you start almost I won't say ganging up, but you start you can get fueled up in the in the what's the problem, and and in that by sharing that you're then creating well that's that's obviously a toxic sort of uh, way to approach things because you're not dealing with it directly. But really, mm. uh, really interesting, I guess, uh, you know, or not, not interesting as such, but just a really smart advice is just to go, well, how am I contributing to this, uh, to this scenario? And am I, am I sort of settled down before I actually try and address this objectively? Yeah. There's a thing that I've heard about, Sam, it's called the conflict iceberg. Can you tell us a little bit about that in, in a bit more detail? Yeah, look, I mean, sort of my interpretation of the conflict iceberg is that most of us start with uh, the reactivity that's going on at the surface level. They looked at me this way. They said this, I don't turn up on time. They, they never come to meetings, whatever it might be. And we just, yep. we get locked in on that. And then if we are reactive and we're a flight or flight's active, cause we've been in back-to-back meetings, we're not taking breaks. We're not doing a run. We're not going to the gym. We're not sleeping very well. Then it's very hard to get out of that surface level conflict and we just stay there. We keep butting heads. We get frustrated. We hope it's going to change. Maybe, or maybe they'll just change and you know, things will be better next week. And so we never really resolve it. Whereas the, and that's the sort of the surface level, the bit we see, but obviously to use the iceberg metaphor, it's the, all the stuff, the huge chunk of the iceberg under the surface that we really need to focus on to understand why is the conflict happening in the first place but for, for, you know, just say it's you and I, Tom, you and for me. So the, 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 the first thing to do is to zoom out as you talked about, zoom out on your own life. So if someone's saying they're having a lot of conflict, I, I always ask them, well, tell me about your life. How's life for you at the moment? Okay. You've got no capacity at the moment because you're completely booked up. You're stretched. So it's going to be very hard for you to empathize or understand the other person's perspective if you've got no capacity yourself. So that can be the first step to try and go, go below the surface of your own conflict, your own triggers, your own reactions. And, and with understanding, but also without judging or blaming yourself either, knowing that we're all human, we are going to react at times. So if we can kind of demystify why it is that we're reacting to this thing so much, we can go, yeah, well, life's busy. Gee, this is, this is one of my big ones that I've reacted to since I was at school or university, whatever it might be. We can understand our deeper motivations. And then if we can do that, we're calming down the fight or fight response. We can then potentially start to get into other people's shoes, which can be the hardest thing to do. We can try and understand their motivations even if we disagree with them. So what, what's going on in their life that might mean they're really reactive at the moment? Why do they get triggered by how I'm talking to them or all this work or whatever it might be? So we can start to then empathize and do the thing that can be the, the, the hardest thing to do. And it's not about excusing poor behavior. It's not about saying I have to agree with them. We may have different values but I now get where they're coming from. So I'm, I'm potentially going to take whatever they do at the surface level less personally. Yeah, that makes, makes perfect sense. And I think I really like the idea of reflecting on y- yourself first, because I think sometimes when you do that and you get a bit of paper out and you, you sort of check in with yourself, if it's about conflict or, or a situation, you might find that there's a pattern as well from, you know, through your working years where this has sort of come up before. And you, if you don't improve it or try and, yourself down or really understand you're never going to get better in the in the scenario as a leader as well and i think as leaders naturally the empathy side 
of things is probably the hard, as you say, it's the hardest or most challenging sort of thing to, to really channel into, especially if you're sort of cooked, <laughs> generally speaking, or you're, you're just not feeling that great. And we know the last few years have been very hard for everyone, but leaders, I think as well of, you know, they're, mm. they're burning out at a significant sort of rate as well. So they're, you know, therefore the person that's maybe you want to sort out for performance perhaps, or something like that, it's pretty hard for you to kind of have a, a have an open mind or a, empathize that much because, because you're just not feeling the best yourself perhaps. Totally. We don't, we just don't have the energy or the desire to do it. It feels really hard. And, and with the remote working, we're not getting all the other the, the social cues, the body language, those general sort of corridor conversations or coffee catch-ups that where we would get a different aspect to someone, we would get the full picture. And so we have to be really then deliberate about, mm. okay, how do I get that face time? How do I check in, whether it's less formal about a meeting, but how do I really try and get the full picture of where someone's at? So, and it can be hard as you, as you yeah. describe. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great, Sam. And I guess we, we've talked about that, that whole scenario. I guess what I'd like to ask you is how, so how do you actually de-escalate and manage conflict in the workplace, given the current environment and the evolving environment? Are there any tips or, or solutions that you see as sort of best practice in yeah, managing that type of situation? Yeah. Well, I mean, I sort of look at it in two ways. So what we've been really talking about is that strategic approach to conflict. So to do a deep dive, really understand it, but that requires, of course, us to zoom out a bit, reflect, hmm. look at the role clarity, look at agreements, all that sort of stuff. And so if we're doing all that, then it's going to make handling that surface level conflict, which will still occur a lot easier because we're already in a better frame of mind. Hopefully we're doing our exercise. We're sleeping better. So we've got capacity to be able to engage in a tense situation without reacting as much. So, I mean, the, 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 the blunt point is that if we're not doing all of that, we're going to keep finding conflicts. We will, we will keep doing it and we have to own our part so that we can make life a lot easier for ourselves. So that's kind of that strategic approach, which we've talked about. Then the tactical approach is, okay, well, okay, I'm still going to get triggered. I'm going to get reactive to what that person says. How do I manage my emotions in the heat of the moment? And this takes a lot of practice and, and potentially preparation. So we have to think about it. You know, if I'm, what's, what's my, sometimes it's useful to understand what your tendency is. And I like to think about it in flight or fight terms. So some of us want to get involved and yeah, I love conflict. I'm, I want to tell them what I think. Some of people just want to to leave the situation and just avoid it at all costs. Some people want to well, freeze in the moment when it happens, don't know what to do. So if we can just acknowledge our tendency, we all have different ones. That's the first step. So this is what I tend to do when it gets a bit icy at work or over email or, or whatever it might be. And then we can, we can think about different tools that we can use in the moment. So how do I stay or how do I have the aim to get into neutral? So what's my plan that I know I'm going to maybe encounter this person. I'm going to be triggered. My flight or flight's going to be active. I'm going to want to react. What tools do I have? How can I slow down? Is it using breathing? And this is where these, these mindfulness tools can come in. How do I really slow down, stay loose in the body so that it's less, there's less energy in the system or tension that's going to get me reacting in a way that I don't want. That's kind of the, the energy component, how you regulate yourself. And it's similar to anxiety, often with people with high anxiety, panic, those who have success in getting towards recovery, what they're really doing is they're coping with themselves. 
they're not really coping the social situation or the flight that they're fearing or whatever it might be, they're coping with themselves in those triggering situations. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, how do I stay neutral? And the way we can do it is obviously have a plan. So how can we use our body as an anchor? That makes sense. But then what other can we use? You know, are we preparing for what we're going to say? So what words can I use that maybe are less triggering that aren't going to trigger the other person? Cause they may or may not be doing what we're doing. Assume they're not. How can I, you know, what open-ended question ask to understand their perspective? So we might have to actually do the hard work and write it down. What am I going to ask them? What's my plan if it gets heated? Have I got a, a way to get out of the situation calmly? Look, I see that Look, I, I'm feeling a bit tired myself. I think I'm, it's probably best that we pick this up another time. Sorry, I, I know you're keen to sort it out now. So acknowledging where they're at, but trying to find a way, have a plan so that those words come to you, particularly if you're a conflict avoider. And so if we can do a bit of mental rehearsal, create those neural pathways in the brain around how we want to respond to conflict in the heat of the moment, then we're more likely to say the things we want if we've done the rehearsal, if we're able to stay loose in the body, go back into neutral. And then, and then sometimes that can then open the window on the door to, mm. to, to come into, to really start to, on a practical level, start to go, well, you know, how can we, how can I help you? What would you like from me? Ideally, doesn't mean we have to agree to things straight away, but we can start to open the conversation. So they're kind of some of the, the tools I use in, in training, but also in coaching kind of help people. Yeah, that's great. I love the preparation as well. I think. As you say, some people do have the tendencies in conflict, well, but everyone has their own tendency in a conflict type situation for, you said, sort of freeze, get fired up or, or, or what was the other one? It was like run, take yeah, run, a, it. Run, run away. <laughs> yeah. Or just hide. Yeah. And, you know, to, to be honest, in my experience, just, just sort of speaking from, from my background, I reckon I've probably done all, all of those, you know, in terms of, and, and they all are horrible ways of, of dealing with things and you learn from, from each time. But I think for some, for some leaders as well, if it's, if they're not feeling at their best, as we've talked about earlier, sometimes it's that avoidance of the whole thing for an extended period of time, which obviously makes the whole thing worse in the long run because yeah. you're never addressing what the problem is. But the preparation going into those types of meetings if you're doing that as the, let's say you're a manager or an exec or something, and you've, you're meeting with your team or your person that's that, that you're having issues with, if you're leading with that calmness or, you know, you have those tools and you have done the prep, which sometimes annoyingly feels like you're doing heaps of work before you even meet someone and you're like, you know, is it, you probably doubt yourself. Oh, is it even, is it even worth it? <laughs> all this, all this effort, but the, the results then start to come. And I guess from that, then you learn that. Hey, when this comes up, your, your brain goes, okay, if this comes up again, let's try this approach and use the, yeah. these tactics, which is, you know, smart. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you can use other little cues as well. You can, you can think about your language. So we you know we've all had the, look, that sounds great, Sam, but, and then you, yep. and then you're like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know, you've already sort of shot yourself on the foot because you've, you've said something positive and then you've just discounted it by saying, but, but you're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Think about our language so that we're not, we're just not trying to trigger the other person and, and, you know, and using you or you did this or they did this, it's just unhelpful and it doesn't really get, because what we're trying to do is come to some sort of agreement. 
And so using the open-ended questions, you know, mm. what, what would you ideally like? And again, that doesn't have to form the basis of the whole agreement, but we're starting to really draw out more information to really understand their position. Okay, cool. Yeah. I can see that. That makes sense. I can see why you want that. You know, any suggestions given that we've, you know, we usually only have an hour in this scenario. What do you think would work or really don't know how would we, you like to structure the meeting and you without trying to attack people or think people feel like they're being judged, the body language, am I sort of open? Am I standing yeah. up or, you know, ready to go? Just those different cues can be reminders for yourself, but also just, they can be kind of moments in time where, you know, the conversation could escalate yeah. or de-escalate and if you have the yeah. presence of fun to use them that can be really useful and then the the concept of transparency can be useful too you know really you know just sort of explaining where you're at look this is something i'm not used to dealing with so you might just be happy to be patient with me that would be great yeah i've found transparency just as just on that one i feel like in the last few years and yeah i've, I've spoken with managers as well like even just saying yeah like to be honest i haven't been feeling <laughs> I haven't been feeling fantastic myself. So, um, yeah, be patient with me as I work through this situation with you. We obviously mm. want to come to a, a solution. So let's talk about the, the problems first and let's, let's try and come up with an, an agreement. I think as well, when you get to the pointy end of finally getting to that agreement, it's kind of, you kind of want to almost sign it off almost in a more formal sort of way, correct me if I'm wrong, but just to kind of go like, cool, let's sign, like literally sign, we do this at Pinnacle where it's like, you know, his scorecard, let's just sign it off. Cause at least then we literally put your signature on it. So then we know, all right, we're, we're agreeing both to this. Um, we, there's no doubt in six months time that we did talk about this, et cetera. And it then just keeps it very, you know, there's true accountability there and open conversation constantly about what we've, what we've agreed on. Yeah, totally. I think that's a great idea. And I, I, I mean, I'd, I'll be the same, Tom, I'd encourage everyone to write it down, particularly if you've got, you're in a formal role, it's a manager, mm. employee or, or, or whatever it might be, or a client supplier that you're working with, just to write it down, have it on paper and make sure it's accurate and updated because that way, if when life gets busy, it all happens, it goes a bit crazy. We, you know, this creep comes in, we can go back to the original agreement. And then it's not personal. It's not saying, well, you did this and you shouldn't mm. have done that. It's like, well, look, remember we had the agreement and actually we've strayed from it. So how do we get back on or, or adjust the agreement or add some stuff in and then redraft it? Exactly. Because, yeah. You know, that's where things fall down all the time. And, and it, that can be, I mean, ideally written, but you know, you might, I do a lot of work with nurses and they often have casual people coming in for the day. So I say, look, you may not have time to write a formal agreement. But you might just set the verbal agreement for the day. Look, this is your role. These are the beds you're looking after. The patients mm. make sense. Any questions? This is, you know, so you, you set the expectations and you get little agreements along the way. Even if you, even if, you know, in certain relationships at work, they're not going to, it's not going to be an allowance for that written down. But I always say where you can, sometimes it can just be an email because often it's the conflicts between peers. So there's no direct reporting mm. relation, for example. But okay, you know, this is what we discuss. I've just put a note it down in an email, anything I've missed. And that way, should something arise later on, you can go back to the email and again, not personal, but remember, this is what we discussed. So that's why I'm asking about it because that's what mm. we said. We've yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and through my business as well, just the, those times to document, not like a lot of the time you kind of like, let's be honest, you 
if it's the last thing we want to do, but we know that it's important and it, it's so useful to have all that because it's pulling it out. It's keeping it obje very objective. It's not personal. It's just what we agreed on and let's tweak it as we go. And as you said, like, you know, someone's role might evolve over time, but it just needs to, needs to be updated as regularly as, as needed. Sam, you mm -hmm. talked about emails. I'm interested in just, just one last one with emails. I imagine now people sending emails or responding, you know, tone and that kind of thing within an email environment, which is often the corporates can be a good and a bad thing. Do you see a lot of conflict arising just from people being either short and sharp on emails or being too formal or too casual? What are you seeing there? Oh, all of the above. And also, um, messenger. So those messenger apps oh, yeah. that work particularly where people can be a bit looser. Yeah, which yeah. can be fun, but they can also, there can also be another edge to it where people aren't getting the full context. What yes. do they mean by that short, sharp comment or the tone or it happens in law firms a lot where no feed, there's a culture of no feedbacks, good feedback. So you might yes. get a yep response to your email. You <laughs> might, or you, someone might be very formal and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Great. Why are you going into it? You know, just ask me or. Yeah, so I think it's yeah. coming on all of us to try and note down how we're triggered by it and, and sort of translate in-person conversational tools into email. So, you know, and just then try and be yourself explaining your, your position where you can, being polite if you want, but also then try not to take it personally if the response is not coming through that you're getting. But then, you know, if you're seeing patterns of stuff, arising and you're just not sure then trying to break out of the email or the messenger with a phone call, you know, an in-person meeting, a coffee catch up. If you've not seen the person for a while and you're just not sure where the relationship's at. So remembering to, mm. to re or disconnect to kind of reconnect with those. Yep. So you're getting full picture again, because over time it's, and then, and then things can change. And so you might get a lot of emails and then you're talking about work, but you're getting different tonal signals. And then what's happened to the original agreement? So maybe the original agreement needs to be reset because all this stuff's been lumped onto you, which you might be happy to do, but I need to have a discussion about time because I can't do it all in addition to what was on the original agreement. So there's a, a number of factors and, and it's important for everyone to write down their own triggers, what triggers them and then what's their mitigator. So if it happens constantly, what am I going to do to get clarity if the clarity is starting to get very gray? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I saw something the other day and it's a common one that comes up, which is an email from a manager to a staff. And it's like, hi, I want to catch up with you. <laughs> Have you got five minutes? And then as an employee, if you get that, it's vague. You probably think a feedback bomb's coming your way <laughs> and you're kind of like, oh no. So, you know, uh, an alternative to that is, you know, I want to catch up to discuss X, Y, and Z. When is a good time to catch up in your, you know, that suits both calendars or something like, you know, something a bit more yeah. Right, you know, those, those sort of vague inner in-person environment, you can be a bit looser and be like, Hey, let's have a coffee and let's, you know, uh, take, so take some time. Well, let's grab it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but if, if, if you get, conversation. <laughs> yeah. If you get a, if you get a loose fight, like you're at home, your boss calls you and it's like, Hey, let's catch up and have a quick chat about, you know, and they don't really say why. You're probably going to be shitting yourself because you're at home. You're probably feeling a bit like, oh, is someone, you know, does anyone care what I'm doing? And then suddenly you get a feedback, uh, like on the spot feedback. It kind of doesn't work as well in a, in a hybrid world. So that, that, that in, in some ways could create a, a conflict type scenario or a, a misunderstanding perhaps, which, which then you need to go back to 
your tips that you, you were running through before. Well, it, I mean, it's such a huge point, Tom, and not to be lost over. I think, you, you know, agendas, you know, I think we, I think agendas are really important. So what is it that we're going to be talking about? It's people find them a bit formal, but you know, even if I've worked with a lot of leaders, you have teams and I'm like, how often do you catch up with them? How often do you check in with how they're going, what they want to what they want to focus on. Do you ask the te your team members to put together an agenda, what they want to cover off? Or is it just sort of, oh, I think it's fine. You know, we don't really talk mm. about much. Well, I don't seem to want a meeting. Or if it's the other way around, absolutely. If you're in a, you know, a position of, of, of power or you have that, that power dynamics in your favor, it, you know, encourage everyone to act, to be really clear as you described, look, wanted to catch up, just wanted to cover off X, Y, and Z. But equally, you know, if you're in a more junior role or you're getting that from the manager, I encourage people to get back on the front foot. Sure. Love to catch up. Can you let me know just so I can prepare? Let me know what it is you want to discuss. Exactly. So there is an yeah. agenda. I always ask, and people always talk about diary management, you know, too many meetings. So you can be really on the front foot with this stuff and go, yep, that's it. Love to catch up. Let me know what you'd like to discuss so I can prepare. What, or what specifically do you want? Are you hoping I can contribute to the meeting? And then what it does is it brings people back into conscious awareness of what it is mm. they want. Is the meeting really necessary? But also, you know, it can resolve or calm some of those anxieties. That we might absolutely, get it. yeah. Uh, you know, catch up for thirty minutes on Friday at five pm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, unfortunately, I think it's still common, but it's a it's a really good one for for leaders to be aware of. Sam, thanks yep. so much for your time today. It's been great to talk about those strategies and tools and also how conflict can come up in the workplace. I uh, really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me back, Tom. Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com.au where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.